I would like to, uh, to um, come back to the scriptures again. And uh, we've been looking at this series on the church. And um, if you can turn with me to Acts chapter 2 again, Acts chapter 2. Um, I felt led to share in, sort of in a different way today and to go backtrack a little bit on why we are on this, why, why we are on this, this chapter of Acts for so long, Acts chapter 2. Um, so turn with me to Acts chapter 2. And we will read verse 38 onwards. So we're just going back a few more verses to look at um, what we've been looking at, you know. Uh, verse 38 of Acts chapter 2, Peter said to them, I'm, I'm uh, reading from the NASB, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day were added about 3,000 souls. And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with the one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. Let us pray. Lord, we ask you that you will speak to us, open your word. Unless your word is opened by the Holy Spirit, we can comprehend the words, but only you by your power, by your love, can actually open it up and speak to us as if you are speaking. And so we ask you that every person who is on Zoom, on Facebook, or here in person, will receive the word that you have prepared for them in such a way that not one person will go home or go away from their screens unspoken to and unmet. We thank you, Lord, that you can do this miracle even, the word, even though the word is spoken once, we thank you, Lord. You can cause it to refract and touch each person in such a way that the, very, the full force of your presence and your, and your love for them will be felt, Lord. We ask you that your word will go forth in such a way that as it always uh, is wont to do, you will break the cedars and break the barriers that separate us from your goodness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, the reason why I, I read this is because of the fact that I want to remind us that the constitution of the church, the, the birthing of the church, the way in which they did these fourfold things, of devoting themselves to the apostles' doctrine, to fellowship, to breaking of bread and to prayers, was in response to Peter's sermon in which he said, you are to, you are to, 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 to repent for the coming of the Holy Spirit, that which was promised. So what Peter was saying is this, the Holy Spirit is coming and you need to prepare yourself. And you need to not only prepare yourself for one time, but you need to constitute yourself in a certain way so that the coming of the Spirit will be experienced by you, okay? The second thing that Peter said is that you need to save yourself from this perverse generation. 
you need to pre- preserve yourself from this perverse generation. What Peter saw was that in that particular time that the church was birthed, there was all kinds of turbulence that was going on. The Jews, um, Dryden calls them a murderous, m- murmuring, moody crowd, um, was, was fomenting rebellion. By, 18, by AD 70, and then later AD 135, the Jews had raised up insurrection against the Romans because Jews' rights were being violated. That's, what, that's a really lame way of, of putting it, a very, very, very uh, um, um, uh, mild way of putting it. And so what happened during that period was that the church was split between the Jews and the temple because at the time the church was, the church, the, the fledgling church was in, in the temple and they were split because the church did not join in with the, the rabble, the, the, reb, the, the, the rebels, or the rabble, to, to form insurrection against the Romans. And as a result of that, the church endured some persecution from the, from the temple and that, besides other things, caused a split. Okay? There was such turbulence, but at the same time, there was also incurring into um, the, 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 the area of what, we, what the Romans called Palestine, tremendous perversions, tremendous um, upending of morality, upending of morals to such an extent that the, the, um, the, the next few centuries would experience um, uh, total chaos you know, chaos in, the, in society, so much so that the Jews would uh, be affected by that. And what Peter was saying basically is that we are, we are about to enter into perverse times. Yeah? And the word scoliosis, from where you get the word scoliosis, is the word perverse. Perverse is a, there's something that is so crooked, so distorted about um, um, morality, about societal norms, in, in terms of pressures, and in terms of this ter- dynamic ter- turbulence, that you will need something really strong. You will need more than what you have today. You will need to repent because there are two things happening. The Holy Spirit is coming, and you have to make place for Him and be built up. At the same time, there's tremendous perversion that's actually coming to um, the land, okay, to, to the ancient Near East. That actually happened. That actu- actually happened. And the amazing thing is that the church thrived under this perversion. It's an amazing thing. But the church had to be a certain way. The church had to be a certain way. The church had to make sure that it did not conform to the world. And the church had to be strong in him. And so what we see is these four foundational things that we've been talking about again and again and again because these foundational things are set within a period of time today in which the perversion continues. The confusion continues. The, the turbulence continues even now. There are gross and great fragmentations that are taking place in society that we are not to be afraid of, but we are to be ready for. Amen? Because the Holy Spirit is coming. Now, if the Holy Spirit doesn't come, we, God help God, as far as we are concerned. If the Holy Spirit doesn't come, the church is in serious trouble. 
So we're not trying to steal ourselves so that we will not be perverse. We already are, <laughs> in many ways. We have spiritual scoliosis. But more importantly, the Holy Spirit has come to heal and to cleanse us and to make everything new. So there's a way in which the, the birth of the church is prophetic. Yeah? I want to use a word that perhaps is, 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 is similar to prophetic. It's proleptic. What does it mean? It means that the words spoken now are not only for now, but in preparation and in, 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 uh, in prediction of what's going to happen in the future. So there's a prolapsis in the sense that what Peter was saying is proleptic. It, it is not only about what's going to happen now, but it is for now, to such an extent that what is happening now, how the church pre- uh, behaved itself and organized itself in the present would have serious implications for the future. Proleptic. Okay, proleptic, because it's, it's, it's something that has future in the present. Yeah? So as we gather together, as we come together as a church, I'm very conscious of the fact that what we are speaking about is prophetic and proleptic in the sense that what we do now is going to be a seed for the future. And I believe that God has given to us enough time, barely enough time, I believe we are in the timing of God. Amen? I want to tell you something. <laughs> I, I don't, I, okay, I'm just going to go into it. You know, I, you know, I always prepare my messages. See? I've got notes. The problem with me is this. When I come up to the, alt, the, 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 the pulpit, all the notes begin to, the words just swim into each other. And I'm looking at my paper and I can't, for the life of me, read my writing. So, I just, so I'm just going to have to go with it, okay? Just bear with me. In 1993, um, the church started, in VCF started, and I came with, after we got married, Cindy and I got married in VCF, and we came and we from Malaysia after our wedding, and we started the church. And I remember there was a, um, a conversation that we had with, another couple, and then we had spoken to the church earlier. And it was an election year, and elections had just taken place. And I still remember, and some people have reminded me about this, something that I said, I said that we are about to enter into a moral morass. That from now on, we are going to see fair become foul and foul become fair. What is good is considered bad, and what is bad is considered good. That is going to happen. I have, and I, and, I, and I shared with these people, and I shared it in the church, that there will be an acceleration of that. That has already been happening. That, that, you don't have to worry about that. That is already, uh, was already going on before 1993. But 1993, as we came and as we opened the church, there was this prophetic word that there will, we will enter into an accelerated Moral morass, and I use and I remember this word, this moral morass thing. I I knew that something was about to happen, and I felt that the Lord had spoken to us about Daniel chapter eleven verse thirty two that the people who know their God will display strength and do exploits in the midst of this. 
So it's been quite a while since 1993, and I've looked at how society has turned out. And I'm much more convinced today that the birth of the church and Daniel 11.32 is not only prophetic, but also proleptic. It is everything that we do in that present time has futures in it, in it. So what we do now in present time is for the future. It's for the present because what happens in the present is in the future. Those of you who have read T.S. Eliot's um, uh, Four Quartets, he says that in the first, in the first, first book, right? The, present is in, the future is in the present. The future is in the pre- present. Anyway, I want to say this because Acts chapter 2, verse 42, is a response, a prophetic response to the sermon that Peter gave. Yeah, Peter gave. We are not afraid of the future. It's not going to get easier. It's going to get harder and harder. I, I, I believe that it's going to be harder and harder for our children as well and our grandchildren. But there is going to be a way in which God is, has not left us to our own devices, but He is preparing the church. Now, whatever happens in the church is very, very important. I also would like to give you, give you a little bit of another stream of history. When I first came to BCF, I had been in Malaysia. In Malaysia, there is, a, there is some persecution. Okay? I won't want to overstate the persecution. It's a Muslim country, but we have persecution, and we are not allowed to preach to the Muslims. So every pre- all the pre- preaching to the Muslims is done undercover and with some risk. Okay? With some risk. And I would say it's quite great risk. The punishment is extraordinary. Yeah? You, if you are found uh, preaching to the Muslims, or if you are a Muslim who becomes a Christian, you lose all rights. Yeah? And there's also caning, whipping. So, but that did not make the church in Malaysia stop evangelizing. My church membership was 80% converts. 80% converts. So, when we become Christians, immediately, whether we are in school or not, immediately we are already wanting to bring our family to the Lord. Knowing that bringing our family to the Lord and preaching to parents would mean sometimes slappings and just a lot of persecution and all that. Under that fire, the church is extremely evangelistic. When I first came to America, I noticed that the church was very, very insular. We are so into community that we didn't care about the people outside, about bringing people to the Lord. And I realized that there are leaders in the church who have never brought anybody to the Lord at all. That is unthinkable in Malaysia. Unthinkable. And I realized that there needed to be a conversion in our church so that instead of being people that are just kind of, kind of a holy huddle, that we become people who realize the excellency of the power of God that's in us, that is good for, powerful enough for, adequate for, and, uh, and, um, and, and, and desired for, in the world. Yeah? I remember those days when we were meeting in Oak Knoll, just feeling that just the burden of our church, that our church is so insular, it's so into community, that I think we had what Peter Wagner calls communititis. It's a disease, communititis. And so we began to pray, and I 
began to see the church becoming so much more freed up. And we did a study in, from the book of Hosea, and the study had to do with the fact that when God gave the people of, of Israel the land, there was a, there's a certain structure, a spatial structure, where there's a, the, the, this, the, the, the tabernacle, the presence of God, in which the people of God gathered around. And Hosea said very clearly that if you put the temple of the Lord, or, sorry, not the temple, but the, the, um, the tabernacle, the presence of the Lord first, the life of God, God will marry you. And because of that marriage to you, you will be fruitful in the land. And not only in the land, but in the world as well. Yeah? And praise God, VCF took hold of it. And in the subsequent years, I saw most people in the church, most people in the church, barely most, maybe 55%, began to be extremely uh, uh, um, evangelistic. And many of them brought their friends and their loved ones to church. And I, I was amazed to see that tr tremendous thing because we focused the land, focus on the land. The, the land, what I mean by the land is the place outside of the church where we connect, we have common lives with the people of the world, yeah? In our, in our, in our works, our factories, our schools, our hospitals, our neighborhoods, and our networks of relationships. I began to realize that as the Lord was moving these past few years, that, that it was good that we were focused on the land. But there was something that was striking me about Haggai. That there was coming to a point where some of us, or perhaps many of us, were feeling that they were not fruitful in the land. And Haggai says, it's because my temple lies in ruin. Because you say it's not the time for the, the temple to be rebuilt. And what these people were saying was that it's not time for us to focus on the temple. And as a result of that, they were in a very obvious error. Do you know why? Because the foundation had been built. And so what you have is the, the tremendous prophetic energy that brought, that brought these uh, people back, the Jews back, and they built the, the, the foundation, but there was opposition. Okay? And because of opposition, they got afraid and they just left it and it, into neglect. And Haggai says, of course, you've looked for much and you found very little. I wonder whether there are any of you who have looked for much but found very little fruit. And Haggai says, it's because of my temple that lies in ruin. So I, some of you may be wondering why we are focusing so much on the church. Have we gone insular? No, it's because the church is going to be a tremendous place of concentrated power in God and presence of God that will cause it to be the answer to the world's needs. Amen? And so that is why we are talking about this. And, and it, I, I noticed that in the midst of a turbulent time, yeah, the century, uh, Peter speaks this word and the church is constituted as God's deposit 
God's bridgehead to the world in such a way that He will cause tremendous presence and power of the Holy Spirit, tremendous gifts of the Spirit to be developed so that we are not people who are of the land, have no base, have no thing that God's working. And that's why we looked at Ephesians, and, and we saw that in Ephesians, the Lord wants to fulfill His, His revelation to the world through the church. Yeah? Through the church. Church is not boring. Church is not. Church is the place, the venue of what God, God wants to do. He starts His work there. It does not mean that He doesn't work outside of the church. In fact, he does. But the way in which the church is constituted and devotes itself to these things, these four things, is going to determine how, pow- how much power and how much influence we have in the world. Amen? All right. So let's have a look at this and we will, we'll, 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 we'll push on, okay? We'll kick on, as they say in England. Let's kick on. Um, and so in verse 42, what we have is this series that we've been on. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread. The past two weeks, we've been talking about the breaking of bread. And the, finally, to prayer and to prayer. All right? There is a way in which their devotion to prayer, and uh, in other translations, it is uh, very correct to say their devotion, they devoted themselves to the prayers. It speaks about prayers that were corporate prayer. They're not talking about individual prayers. They're talking about corporate prayer. They may, they, it could be prayer in the temple, but also prayer at set times, but prayer that, the, that caused the people of God to come together. Yeah? The people of God to come together. And what uh, Acts chapter 2.42 is talking about has to do with a certain kind of prayer that is corporate. It's corporate that uh, is not just individual prayer in our closet, but it is corporate, especially corporate prayer. Yeah? It's, kind of gen- it's, it's kind of a general term, it's kind of wide, but it is, its emphasis is corporate prayer. And they devoted themselves to corporate prayer, the, the prayer. Yeah? So these could have been prayers that came up occasionally. Do you remember in uh, Acts, chapter, uh, Acts chapter 4? What happened is that the disciples out of that overflow of prayer in the church, they went out to the beautiful gate and healed someone who was lame from birth. They were persecuted. They came back to the church. And then what did they do? They got into that prayer again. And as they prayed, uh, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. The place was shaken. And they went out again and signs and wonders took place. The church was on a cycle of that kind of prayer that always resulted in miracles and in, in life saved. Amen? So we're talking about prayer that's like that. Prayer that shakes, shakes things. You know what I mean? Not just prayer that's like pretty prayers that are, that are, that are very nicely crafted, very insight, insightful and all that, but they, are, but they don't shake things. Does that make sense? We're talking about prayers that shake the, shake the, shake the things that are around them. Anyway, and so because of that, I think it's, it's good for us to like look at that. Can you please turn with me to Matthew chapter 18 and we can go into that more deeply. Matthew chapter 18, Jesus is speaking about the church even before the church was constituted. So he's talking about, we've been talking about that. We spent a whole um, 
Sunday looking at Matthew chapter 18. I'd like to go back to that aspect of prayer though, the prayer part of it. Ready? Let's look at Matthew chapter 18. Verse 19. Again I say to you, that if two of you agree on earth, that's the word symphoneo, about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them. Wow. Not bad, huh? Why don't we make more use of that, right? Of course, if you're praying alone, then you have nobody to agree with, right? There's another dynamic, though. It shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven, for where two or three are gathered together, and it's the word for synagogue, actually, um, gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst. Okay, I'm going to read that again because it's, we're going to be focusing on these two verses. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree, symphoneo, upon, on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. Verse 20, for where two or three are, have gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. This is really powerful stuff. When Edward Miller started expounding these two verses, my life was changed completely because I suddenly saw when he, he described it, he says how powerful the church could be when we pray together, when we agree together, when we gather together. He is in the midst. Whatsoever you ask, it shall be done. That's kind of mind-blowing. We, we dare not take this up, right? Because if we, if we did, we would not be the same. And what God was saying, Jesus was saying to them is this, there is a tremendous power in symphoneo. Symphoneo, uh, it does not mean just agreeing, you know, like when we say in prayer, somebody prays this and somebody says amen. That's part of it. But the agreement that's spoken about is an is agreement that comes by intentional compacting together in a um, in a in an enduring way. Okay? This agreement is not just I agree with you. I don't. I give mental assent. I think I agree with your opinion. That's not what symphoneo is. Symphoneo is has to do with a certain harmony that doesn't just come. It's built. It's it's fitted. It goes through a process that causes voices and instruments to harmonize, become as one. It requires endurance. It requires patience. It requires forgiveness. It requires a lot of things. It requires effort as well. But symphonio is not just agreeing, I amen that, I amen that. That's all part of it. It's part of it, but that's not reduced to that. Does that make sense? You have to ask the question, okay, where's the rub, right? Where's the rub? Whenever you see these verses that promise so much, right, that said, wow, this is a blank check. This is, this is amazing. God's going to do such great things. Why don't we experience it? it? The reason is found in the rub. What's, where's the rub? Right? Where does the rubber hit the, the, the road? Where does it, why is it so difficult? We want to attack that, see? Or else you'll be spouting out 
promises and promises and, and don't even and there's no content in it. It's all completely empty. Where's the rub? Why are we not experiencing this more in our lives, right? And so what what Jesus is saying is this: when you agree, yeah, when you agree, and that word symphoneo, it's is is a key. It's a key. When you agree, touching anything shall be done. How can we harness agreement to such an extent that that agreement, how can we come into that symphonio to such an extent that when we gather together to pray, boom, tremendous things happen. Things shake like Acts chapter, chapter 4. Yeah? How do we experience that quantum boom that happens when agreement happens? It has to be more than just mental assent to what has been said. It's not, it has to be more than just agreeing with an opinion. It is something that harmonizes, that is brought to harmony, that brought to that kind of thing. And one of the meanings for, for, for symphonio, one of the dominant meanings is a compact. And we agree we're going to do this. We're going to covenant together to... Um, put everything that we have, put all our money, put our, all our effort, put all our, our, our time into this thing that is going to cause us to have a tremendous result. Church is boring if it's not that, right? If we believe together that we're going to have revival and we ask God for revival and that many people will be saved, many people will be healed, many people will be delivered, that even society can be affected by that. If we agree in it, what God is saying, it will be done. But we don't agree as much. We agree mentally, we agree in principle, but the agreement that we, we, we need is agreement in which we are compacted together. We make a compact. Yeah, We make a compact together that we want to see something happen that can only happen when the church gathers together in this way. So there's not just individual heroes, but there are this thing that when we gather together, we have a vision of something that God has promised contra mundum, against the world. That is what they devoted themselves to. The seed of what we see in Acts chapter, chapter 2 was found in Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18 was a little bit like the Sermon on Mount, the constitution for the church that was going to be built, the constitution of the kingdom. Yeah? And so, I want to just point that out to you. Because when that happens, the presence of God comes in a mighty way, in a very special way. And I see it beginning to take, it, take place. I see it begin to take pla- place. When... A little bit of history again, okay? I didn't, I didn't realize that we we're going to go that, down this road. Before VCF was a church, um, I had come to, in the summer, to study at Fuller, as I, as I was wont to do every summer. And uh, when I came the Lord spoke to me that I will meet a group of people that I've never met before and something of, his, of a movement of God will start through these people. 
true enough, after I finished my classes uh, for the summer, somebody asked me whether I could do some teaching with a group of young graduates in their 20s and 30s in the park somewhere, um, East Washington Boulevard, I think. And I said, okay. The Holy Spirit moved in among them. We didn't talk about being a church or anything like that. Then they asked me, could, I, could we come to visit your church in Malaysia? Is it really true, all this stuff? We want to see it. So I said, come. So in December, seven of them came, and they called themselves the Malaysian Seven. They were Americans, and they stayed with us in our mission, in our, in our, in our headquarters. And we were with them for about two weeks. And they said, we want to know how miracles actually happen in a church. So they came to our prayer meeting. The prayer meeting constituted about at least 65 to 70% of the church. So there were hundreds of people in that, in that prayer meeting. Hundreds of people in that prayer meeting. And we prayed. We prayed mostly in tongues. We prayed only in the Spirit. We were getting ready for a healing campaign, a one-night healing campaign. And these seven Americans were going to be part of our healing campaign. And they were surprised to see that when we gathered together in prayer, miracles would take place every time we gathered. Every time we gathered. If you have like four or five hundred people praying together every week, and they don't fizzle out, can you imagine the kind of presence and power they had? The Americans were really um, um, impacted by that. And they are the ones who said, can we start the church like that? And that's how BCF kind of sort of came about. Okay. Now what happened was that during these prayer meetings, we would all be praying very little prayer in English. Very little prayer in English. We just pray until we sense something break. And when things broke, different people would pray out words of knowledge. And somebody would write down what was written what was prayed out. Somebody was praying for stomach, stomach problems, you know, cancer this, cancer that, blindness, this and that, back problems and all that. And we would pray. At the, at the end of a period of praying, in which at the end, it seemed like the hundreds of us just felt, went quiet, all spontaneously went quiet. Suddenly, silence. And after that silence, People will just speak out and we speak out. Say, Lord, we pray against the spirit of um, back problems or or cancer and different things. And we would note the things that we prayed. Pray. After that, we would pray again the next week. We pray. We had a few weeks to prepare for the 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 evangelist meeting, and finally, we had a chance to go, and we had it in a. a, a in a public place because our, our church was not big enough. And it was filled. And these seven Americans were really excited. They wanted to see. So they grabbed, one of them at least, grabbed uh, a, a copy of this sheet of paper in which these things were written down. 
and after the, a short preaching, maybe maybe uh, 25 minutes, then we started calling out these ones, right? And people started coming out, and the the American contingent, American Seven, the Seven, uh, yeah, they began to um, watch, and they got a chance to pray for them. And as they prayed for them, they saw so many of these ones were healed. And there was one person that I shared, I've shared before, who wanted to kind of come up, up and close to me. And so um, I had given a word about someone who was blind in one eye. And so this guy came up and he says, I want to follow. And when, this, when a person came up to the front for prayer, we went to pray for this man. He had a patch over his eye. And with that patch in, over his eye, he came out. It happened that this man was the editor of a large uh, national news daily, uh, Chinese newspaper, newspaper, whose wife had been coming to church. And he had persecuted her terribly. Terribly. Persecuted her two their two daughters who were coming to church, coming to Sunday school as well. But because he was blind, he was so desperate. He had had operations and it got worse and worse and worse. So he came. And I went straight for him to pray for him. And they took off the bandage. And this, this person, this American, was standing next to me just watching, right? Took off the bandage. And immediately he shouted out in Chinese, I, I can see lights. And then after that, I can see clearly. At the end of it, he accepted the Lord and his bandage never came back on again. It was completely healed. Then he became a member of the church and became a very faithful guy. You know? So part of how BCF was started was because these Malaysian seven, so to call, so to speak, wanted to see some of that happen here in America. Does that make sense? This is a little bit of a, bit, a little bit of history. But what we saw is that it was not because one, any one of us were particularly gifted. You know, I don't claim to have the ministry of healing and all that, but I pray for the sick. And we all pray for that. But I saw ordinary members of the church who are in prayer, compacted together, pray until something breaks, praying until something breaks, not just issuing prayers and then going off, but praying until something breaks, however long it would take, these people were being used by the Lord. Amen? It's out of this that we saw something peculiar in that harmony, that something peculiar in that symphony. And I believe that God has this for us. And so they devoted themselves to prayers and I would put it to you that the essential pit, that the center of this Acts chapter 2 stuff is here in the presence of God. In the presence of God. We as a church have not really had any healing campaigns yet, except that one time which I've shared about where um, a lot of people got healed. But I believe that we are preparing ourselves for something. We are making, 
We're making a compact. Amen? For that. Now, here's the rub. It is difficult to commit yourself to some things. It's easy to attend prayer meeting. You need three, you do that. But a compact involves a certain, I don't like to say a price that you pay, but there's something in which you have to make a decision to give yourself to it. Whatever happens, you know? Amen? Okay. I'm praying that my notes will all come back together. I'll be able to read again. Sometimes I don't know why I, I write this stuff because I can't see it, can't read it. Something about this pulpit just kind of blurs everything. Okay. So we want to be people who agree. Now, lots of people are, are swept away by the circumstances of life. Yeah? And so agreement requires a certain amount of intentionality because most of us drift. Yeah? Most of us drift. COVID is one of those things that make us experience a certain pressure. COVID is one of those things in which for many people, many Christians, it's an absolute disaster. It's an absolute fragmentation of scattering. Um, I've been reading data from, from different Christian researchers and all that, that the vast majority of churches have lost more than half their congregation. There's a one, one church that I know of, I've ministered in, in which there are several thousand, but only 10% are coming in for meetings, whether by Zoom or in person. Okay, so that's tremendous. Um, giving is really down and all that. And I believe that through COVID, what the devil intends to do is to scatter the church. To lay such a blow, a sustained blow, now it's almost, it's almost two years, right, upon the church to such an extent that people will be weakened. It'll make it hard, he's trying to make it hard for Christians to meet or even come on Zoom. That's the rub for many people. The rub is that appearing on Zoom is very hard. It's very hard. Yeah? And I believe that there is a demonic thing behind sicknesses anyway. So COVID has an intention to disperse us, to make us weaker, to make us weaker. And the devil wants to weaken and abolish the church because it's not just COVID. There are so many societal forces, cultural forces, that want to completely deny biblical positions on many, many things. And if you are not strong in the Lord, you're not rooted in the Lord, you will drift. Now, there are some Christians who are drifters in the sense that they have no commitments to anything. So they're not staked into the ground. 
And because of that, whatever pressure comes upon them, they will just go. And I want to say to you, if you are in that place, there is hope for you. There is hope for you. But you've got to decide that you're not going to be moved around by whatever is coming at you. You must not drift. You drift because you have no purpose in life. You have no intention in life. You're just trying to survive. You're just trying to take care of life so that life is not so difficult. You're, so, you're constantly trying to find the easy way out. You will not make a stand. You will not come up and be counted. You will not um, inconvenience yourself. You will just drift. But the problem with a drifter is that they will drift according to the, the most intentional forces that are going after them. Whether it's advertising, whether it's technology, it's media, or it is people with bad intention, or I'm sure you understand that behind all that, the devil is very, very hardworking. He's very intentional. He's intentionality par excellence. That's the that's devil. If you are just listless or you have, don't have a vision, you will drift. You will be pushed, uh, pushed around. You will be. Unless you are pegged and you are plugged into a symphonio. Yeah? I believe there's time. I believe there's time. And I believe, contrary to what I may be sounding like, that the church is about to enter into its finest hour. For all the things that we've been prepared for, everything that we've been here for, everything that I have, you know, left in Malaysia for, I believe that with all my heart, at the age of 64, having survived a few things, you know, I've had six operations, actually, Cindy Marion is seven operations. Having survived seven operations in my life, I'm still here. And so are we. Amen? I'm not as young as I used to be, but the Lord has kept me up to here, and so has He kept all of you. I see young and old here. Yeah? And with COVID, you can't see where the church is. All you see is empty pews right now and a few heads bobbing up and down. Really loud heads. When we worship, it's so loud, you think, you think there's more people in here than that. <laughs> but I tell you something. God has put us here and our finest hour has yet to come. But we have to be the church. Does that make sense? We have to be the church. That is our intention. That is our compact. That is what it means to devote ourselves to prayer. There's the symphonio. Okay? So against this drift, the lack of vision, lack of purpose, there is this thing that God has that He's purposed to do something in Pasadena, in LA, in this land. And what God has for us is something, I believe, something that's an on ongoing process. Um, so, in, I believe it was the last day of February, last Sunday in February. We did not know about this lockdown, about COVID, but the Lord spoke to my heart, and uh, I spoke to Cindy about it, and she had the same thing in her heart. We start daily prayer. Start daily prayer. We did not know this, this COVID thing was going to be a, a thing. I thought, 
just one of those things, you know. We've, we've had diseases, we have cholera, we have malaria. Oh, look at Malaysia, we've got even worse than that. But we felt, do this. My first reaction was this, look, VCF tends to fizzle out in prayer anyway. They get excited at first and they'll fizzle out. But Cindy encouraged me and, and, and we talked about it. And I remember on Sunday evening, talking to Daniel, let's start prayer, daily prayer. And Daniel said, when? Tomorrow. <laughs> we started on Monday. And we have not stopped. We have not stopped. During this period, what God is doing is that He's building the invisible kingdom. Not our kingdom, His kingdom. And what has happened is that in spite of the fact that our history, BCF, has been, um, has been filled with examples of fizzling out, we haven't fizzled out. In fact, we've got stronger. In fact, it's got stronger and stronger and stronger to such an extent that individuals, I can see tremendous transformation in each individual. Because, not because they pray pretty prayers or nice prayers, but they just stay there. And they stand their ground. And sometimes in prayer, it's not how you pray or what you pray or the words that you did or even how insightful you are. It is the fact that you stay in the presence because streaming in invisibly into you in prayer just by being, having your heart towards God together with the brethren, there are powerful streams of light that are actually coming in that are transforming your spirit and transforming your soul. Amen? We have come to a point in our prayer now that miracles are happening more frequently and more quickly. For example, one day we had a, a Patricia shared with us about her grandchild, a baby, who was really, really, very sick and we needed emergency prayer. We prayed. After the prayer, he was well. He was well. We've seen this with Evan. We've seen that with Jack. We've seen incurable diseases heal faster and faster and more powerfully. But what's really gratifying is for me to see the members of the people who have been devoting themselves to prayer, not just coming once, and once or twice, but just devoting themselves to prayer. They've grown. They've grown tremendously. And I can see that. See, what the devil is doing is this. He's saying the church is shut down. It's just shut down. Just like Pharaoh thought the children of Israel were stuck in the, in, the, in the marshes and they can't get out. And the Lord lets him believe that. The Lord lets him believe that. Yeah? The devil thought that when Jesus was on the cross, he had already had a victory and the Lord let him believe that. And the church at, right now looks horrible. It just looks like it's non-existent. It looks like it is completely reeling from all the things that are going on in society with legislation and all that, and with COVID as well, okay? The way in which societal norms have, are changing drastically. Definitions of words. The church looks really weak. In fact, you don't know where the church is. People are on Zoom. But who knows what they're doing on Zoom, Right? We don't know where it is, but the Lord is here. And He's got a secret plan, I believe. Now, I'm not, now I'm, I've, I've blown the secret. <laughs> Behind all this, He's focusing on our individual life together as a church. 
Yeah? Not so that we will be a holy huddle, but so that we will be able to take our place in the land soon. Yeah? Soon. And also, He's helping us to take care of our own household. I mean, our own families. There are things, unfinished business, things that are loose ends, things that are in need of fixing and of healing that he's focusing on now. We don't have Bible studies right now, but I want to put it to you that what the Lord has is for us to be one-on-one in relationship with one another, care for one another. And, and I, 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 I felt that this phrase come to me, just add one, add one to your, your ministry concern and burden. Just add one. Amen? So there's going to come a time when there will be a reveal in which the curtain will be removed. And when the devil thinks that the church is completely obliterated after waves and waves of COVID have come and gone, I heard there's a new strain that has come out in, uh, in the Netherlands, which is more dangerous. Okay, I don't want to spoil your day. That's what I heard anyway. But there's, there's a way in which th- when that is over, the church will stand unrecognizable. It won't be the namby-pamby thing that we had that God's drifted and gets hankering after and seduced by the world. It'll be something that has power. It's supernatural. That's what I believe that is going to happen. We are proleptic about this. And we are prophetic because of the fact that the Lord is speaking. So what, what's happening today in our church is something that I believe is exactly in the right place that God wants us to be. Exactly in the right place. It's uncomfortable. It's not, doesn't have the usual equipments. And we have to go by the Spirit and not by the things that comfort our eyes. Zoom is hard. Zoom is hard. But imagine the day when Zoom is not even available to us. Just like in China, for many of the house churches, the, the flourishing of the church in China was underground. There may come a time in which we don't get a chance to show to the world oh, how cool we are as Christians, see our big, big arenas and all that and how prominent we can be. No, we won't get a chance to do that because those, that would be dangerous. There may be a, come a time in which everything is underground, but it thrives. You know how the church, I was talking to someone from, from, from China because you know, we have a church that has sends missionaries in Malaysia to them. They said, you know what? A lot of times, we don't know when the church meeting is going to be. But we pray, and this may be hard for you to believe, we pray and the Lord shows us, turn up at Brother Sung's house and we will all be there. They have come to a point that they are so accurate in their hearing through all this invisible undercover stuff that they know when to come and where to go for that. I believe that in the days to come, we will need to be that way. And, and right now, I, I, I can hazard a guess to say that we are not too late. Okay? Praise God. And so I believe that the Lord is leading us as a church in these times. It's turbulent times. And one of the most important things that is important for us as a, ch- as a church is to learn how to pray 
to the extent that, you know, our minds are all over the place. They're just turbulent. It's just all over the place, right? You have a million thoughts around you. And so when you're praying, you don't know which good thought is from God and which good thought is just from your own good, right? It's, not, it's like the, the seas are just choppy and, the, and you see all these waves. Which one is, is God? In prayer, what we do is that we pray and worship and get out of the way until our own agendas are put, put, put aside until we see that the waters are just like still. And you wait until that happens. Until that happens, knowing whether it's God or your, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a crapshoot because you have so many thoughts and one, in, in, the midst of, in the midst of that, it's God. How do you distinguish from your own thoughts and your own, and, and the voice of God? But when we pray and we worship the Lord until everything comes to stillness, then you can see the tug, you can feel the tug. You can, there's only one thing that comes and it's compelling. And when that happens, faith rises. You don't pray it because it's a nice thought, but, it, that, but the whole timbre of it, the, the whole tone of it, the whole content of it, the whole weight of it has something powerful in it. Does that make sense? I pray that everyone in BCF will come to a place where they recognize that place and it becomes really familiar to them. They can do it with their eyes closed because that's what's going to be na- na- necessary. And so it says in uh, Matthew chapter, chapter 18, Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, I'm there in the midst. Where? Who? The word is where. What is the exact location that is not there or there, but there? Are gathered, the word for gathered, um, it's the same word as synagogue, it's gathered. That means there is a particular location in which people are brought together. The word gathered, synagogue, uh, has to do with the gathering of people from far-flung places, from diverse places. It's an intentional gathering and, and bringing together of people who don't actually live in the same place not in the same location. So the whole idea of gathering where and gathering where has to do with a particular and exact location, uh, an exact locality where the gathering is happening. Does that make sense? I know that many of us say, I will be with you in spirit. I will be with you in spirit. There are times when the, 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 the work of God occasions not us being there in spirit, but in person. Now, I can't tell you, you need to be here on Monday. I can just say, the Lord will give you a way. Amen? Don't, don't, don't break your, your back trying to do it, but the Lord will give you grace for that, if you have the desire. Yeah? And so there's this gather. When you are gathered there, when that, that means you are here and not there. That's the whole idea of who, where. Where, where has, is the word, the Greek word, who, that means an exact place that is to be distinguished from other places. Where two or three are gathered, like in a synagogue. The synagogue was the idea of a gathering of people who are not in their homeland, right? They were in um, far-flung places, that they're, they're the diaspora. 
and they will be coming from different places. That's the kind of gathering that happens out of every, every location. Come together and pray. There is something about being marinated and, 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 and soaked in this that causes us to grow and to become transformed, not because we uh, pray well, but because we're just there and committed with our eyes gazing towards God. Amen? I found that this is something very really true uh, for us. And I'm just going to end with one story. Yesterday, I had a, I, my brother, who is a pastor of a church in Malaysia, sent me a message that one of, one of the couples in his church had a son who was, I, I believe he was studying or working in, in actually California. And he had COVID. And he passed her, the mother's, the mother of this, this boy, her, this mother's message to me, which ended this way. It says, please save my son. I, he's in such a terrible situation. He, I'm afraid that we will lose him. Something, something like that. Right. So immediately with, the, with that phone number, I called this person. Uh, the, the, the son was actually in hospital. He was intubated. He was, was looked really bad, and his wife was so stressed out by what was happening to her that she did not even dare to go to the hospital. She said, I'm paralyzed with fear. And so she had not been there for a while. I called her, and she wasn't at the, didn't pick up the phone. So what I did was that I just prayed into the answering machine, right? I was talking to nobody. I just prayed for this boy, this man, and prayed as, with everything that I had. And after a few minutes, she called me back. And I found out that she had not been going to church. She had gone away from just the normal fellowship. And uh, she was so paralyzed by fear and just um, apprehension of what was taking place to her husband. She was hardly um, lucid. We prayed. And after that, I invited her to come back to the Lord and to give her life to the Lord. And I told her, okay, here's this. This, this is the thing that we're learning in prayer, daily prayer. I felt a small pebble like David had when he met Goliath. A small, smooth pebble of a revelation. And I said, go there, see your husband, and he'll be all right. I just said that. Daily prayer is the place where you, you locate pebbles. You may not locate it in the prayer meeting, but you prep your soul so that any time of the day when you hear a little pebble, you're ready. You can recognize, that's a pebble. That's not a pebble. This is a pebble. Does that make sense? How are we going to do that in the days to come unless we begin investing? So I told her that, and you'll be fine. She was so excited. She gave the life to the Lord. She says, okay, I'm going to go see him this evening. So all this happened yesterday, within, all within half a day. She went and then she called me back and she said, he's so much better. 
His numbers are great. He's like so, so well. I want to go back to church. The Lord is drawing me closer to Him. So many miracles have taken place. And that's just in half a day. Isn't that amazing? In half a day, God works so much because He's training us. Does that make sense? He's training us. And the more we pray together, the more quickly we are seeing things happen. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that you are the one who birthed us as a church for a purpose. And so we ask you that even now that you come, you stir within us. Stir within us, Lord. For those of us who are drifting, we ask you to give us your purposes. We open ourselves to you. Ask you to drop those purposes in our hearts right now. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we welcome you. Come and we ask you that you by your spirit. Gather, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Unless you gather us, we are alienated and far flung and fragmented because that's the nature of our condition. And so we ask you for your grace right now. We thank you, Lord, that you did not call us to be a church for nothing. And we thank you, Lord, that in these days, you are doing great and mighty things. We thank you for each one here, every single person, from the youngest to the oldest. We ask you that you would now put it within us to build your church. In Jesus' name, amen.